Welcome to Peers Like Me. Peers Like Me is a regularly updated podcast developed to increase everyone's understanding of the effects of people who have behavioral health issues in our families, neighbors, and communities. Peers Like Me is designed to increase understanding and knowledge for people in our community from a peer, people with lived experiences, perspective, which will result in improved community inclusion. Our hope is that by sharing our knowledge and experiences with the issues, our community will gain better understanding and acceptance, resulting in an improved quality of life for everyone. Our guest today is Carol Hayes Collier, advocate extraordinaire, and our host is Mara Kelly. Hi, thank you very much, Marnie. I have the distinct privilege to interview uh, or talk to Carol Collier Hayes, Carol Hayes Collier, about peer services and what that means and what that means to me and a lot of people in our community that's been affected by mental illness or behavioral health issues. Interestingly enough, I met Carol. Well, I was, I always knew of Carol when I got into the realm of peer services, uh, but I met her in the 1990s in Niagara Falls at a conference for the National Advocacy, National Association of Protection and Rights Advocacy. And we were sitting in the lounge because this conference is just so family orientated and we were just talking and Carol was saying really what she thought and she was just speaking her peace of mind. And it was so liberating to hear that. It was like, wow, like I gotta, I gotta know this person. And, you know, we've known each other in, you know, through the years. And then a couple of years later, we, we had a couple of years ago, we ended up, I guess, carpooling or car sharing <laughs> on hours of trips to Maine and to down in the near New York City. And uh, we've had a lot of talks and, and the most yeah profound one was after we went to this conference, I drove with Carol about four hours to Syracuse and I was just spilling my guts on how terrible my life is. And uh, so Carol's listening and listening. And then we got to her house and she said, you know, like you got this going for you. You got that going for you. You know, like you, you have all this stuff now, really, you know, really like, is your life that bad? You know? And it was like, what? You know? So it, she just shook me up and she, she was able to do that. And I wasn't defensive. And so I dropped her off in Syracuse and drove the next two and a half hours thinking about that. I really got some good peer support and Carol and our past have uh, crossed many, many times, uh, always with compa- companionship and collaboration. And I always walk away feeling better. So uh, P- Carol is a peer. And despite being a peer, she uh, was educated uh, through kindergarten to a Regents diploma at St. Mary's School. Uh, she has an associate's degree in humanities from Onondaga Community College. This is all in central New York. She got a bachelor's degree in sociology, Lemoyne College. I, I have a bachelor's degree in sociology from St. Bonaventure's. 
And then uh, a little later, 26 years later, she got a master's degree in public administration from Syracuse University. And it's interesting, I was reading this book by Sue Lear about her struggles with dealing with her son, Ben, who has autism. And Sue Lear wrote about, uh, wrote a book called Beautiful Ben and I could see Carol within it all over it. Sue was writing about the movement and, and uh, Carol was involved in that. And uh, it just, the community has been impacted by Carol's involvement, not just with people with behavioral health, but people with all disabilities. Um, she's had various employment through grocery stores, direct service for people with disabilities and community services. Uh, she's. She was a graduate assistant for Center of Human Policy Workshop on Human Abuse. She is a supervisor of Foster Grandparents Program, U.S. Upstate Placement Unit for people who won their freedom from Willowbrook State School and were relocated in Central New York. So she was part of that. She was part of cleaning up that mess and saving the lives that were uh, just terribly abused at that place. And uh, she developed, the, then direct the first community-based small residence setting for people who had developmental and physical disabilities. She, uh, she coordinated community-based services for people with psychiatric disabilities and developmental disabilities. Uh, she developed unique perspectives, and then Burkana respite services. In her volunteer activity, she is not someone to let moss grow under her feet. Uh, she's uh, volunteer include being part of the Gray Panthers, the Mental Health Association of Onondaga County and New York State, Women's Information Center, peer support groups and mental health, community planning groups, a founder of Transitional Living Services, vice president board and chair of Program Advisory Board, uh, member, chair and community support center, peace activist. She's a peer throughout this and she's accomplished all this stuff. And she's also a part of the Mental Health Patients Liberation Project that started in 1972, peer support groups, uh, she co-supports group for women with mental health issues, involvement in community boards representing people with mental health issues, participating in international conferences on human rights and psychiatric oppression, and alternative conferences. I think Carol can be definitely considered an authority among us on what a peer is and peer services throughout New York State and throughout the lives of people with behavioral health issues. So thank you, Carol. My Did pleasure to be here. I, I don't think so. <laughs> but I know, I know Carol personally, and I know there's things that she's done that I don't even mention there that are insurmountable. But anyways, so Carol, I have these questions. Right. To help people better understand where we're coming from. So when did the peer concept begin in New York State? New York State, I was aware of it in 1972 
and it had started in 1971 in New York City. Uh, a gentleman named uh, David Kane and a group of other people started the first Mental Patients Liberation Project down in New York City, and they wrote it up in Parade Magazine. <clears throat> Parade Magazine is loaded with drug things now, which is interesting, That, but that told about this story. And a student at Syracuse University, I was working with people with developmental disabilities, and a student at Syracuse University was working with us, and he connected me with the very first meeting we were going to have for Mental Patients Liberation Project in Syracuse. So we met with a lot of students out of the Center in Human Policy and people who had been, um, we called ourselves in those days, ex-patients. Um, and so we had this, this dialogue and it was decided in the very beginning that the people from Syracuse University would be supportive of us, but would not, nobody who was not having the lived experience would be in a leadership role. So they would loan us things like, um, uh, the, the band in Boston movie, uh, Titicate Follies, which is definitely well worth seeing anybody who hasn't seen it. That was the mental health, the uh, psychiatric institutions for the criminally insane. And it doesn't matter where it was, it was something that was going on all over the place. And so we would host meetings and we would raise money like that and then do local TV shows and meet Every week we would meet and talk about what's going on with us and what's going on with the community. And I came at it from different ways, too. I was also involved with a women's group. And we found that many of the women in the women's group were people who have been involved with the psychiatric system, some positively, some not so positively. And so we started doing a co-counseling thing with one another, the women did. Um, who had had the psychiatric experience. And we found that that got even deeper into our understanding of the issues and what we could do about them. Uh, yeah. So, Carol, why would you be in a group called Liberation? Or what, what does liberation have to do with behavioral health treatment or services or people with behavioral health? Yep. I was in my sophomore year in college when I attempted suicide and got put into um, Strong Memorial in Rochester for four months. They studied me. They, they did all kinds of exams and testing. And then after four months decided on the eve of Easter, they decided to ship me to a psychiatric center, a state psychiatric center closer to my home because I was at college when they took me in Rochester. So they sent me to Binghamton Psychiatric Center. And in those days, in the late 60s, you didn't get out. Um, my sister was in training in nursing, and she could follow where I was moved in the buildings so that I, she could tell if I was going to be staying forever or not. But in those days, when you went and you went with such an extensive evaluation, you're there for the rest of your life. And I was terrified. Mm -hmm. um, and I accidentally went home for a we had my uncle pick me up. We didn't have a car. So my uncle picked me up to take me home just for a visit. And I said that, but I was supposed to get out the middle of next week, going to a Catholic school. That means Wednesday, you know, that's the middle of the week. So I got my pass for Wednesday. And then when it came, they said, no, you can't go, you know, you're not cleared. And I said, 
can I go just for the day? And they, they let me go for the day and I never went back. Right. And in those days, they didn't care if you went back. They would either pick you up if, if you were actively causing problems or they knew that you would be back, you know, because you were told this is where you're going to spend the rest of your life. And when I read my records later, it really promoted the whole thing that they said I could not go back to school. I could not. And I was sat more at that time. I could not do anything that was useful, productive work. Um, because when I was taking care of other patients, like we were supposed to, I would talk to them. I would never go near a person without talking to them and touch their body. And then they, um, you know, it was just a, a horror show. It was frightening, terrifying. So I hid out for three days at home and they didn't come because they knew that I would show back up. And indeed I did in the psychiatric system, but in a little less lethal one than, than Binghamton. Yeah, it's amazing how when we're institutionalized, we become buddies with the other patients. You know, like there's a, there's a camaraderie there. Mm -hmm. You know, so, yeah. In Interestingly, right. they took that camaraderie. I'll, I'll tell you this because not many people had this experience that in the state facilities, the staff had people that would report on what patients were doing. So they would get an extra cigarette. Yeah. So I would talk with my counterparts who were also ex were patients there. And we ended up, um, I found out all my information was uh, taken away, given to the staff. And I was not allowed, I was writing, I was writing down what was going on. I'd taken a sociology course, you know, big deal. And I was saying that this is a whole different power structure. And when I did, um, they gathered, the staff gathered all the patients around me and, and had me say, I am a mental patient. I am not a student and rip up my paper paper. And from that point on, I only got toilet paper in that place, yeah. but that still is the nightmare. And that ignited my passion for change. And I never felt I did anything that wrong, you know, but it's like, constantly i'm just going down this rabbit hole worse and worse right. good for you so obviously you got out yes accidentally yes <laughs> and so what so once you got out what was your experience in the peer movement what what like you are a leader in our movement and there's so many young people mm -hmm. coming up um What's your experience? What's your wisdom you can give to the, these newbies? These uh... well, One of them was we'll always have to change what we refer to ourselves as. Yeah. Um, because we decided at the first international conference on human rights and psychiatric oppression that I went to, we decided that we would use only CSX, consumer survivor X patient. And I would never use the word consumer for myself because I did not go in and choose what happened to me. I was drugged and I don't know if I was shocked, but I was definitely given a statement of doom for the rest of my life. Yeah. So um, I stayed with the ex-patient, but it always has to keep changing. And Piers you know, says that we've had similar experiences and we find it to be helpful. And even though I couldn't talk with peers when I was in um, Binghamton, 
I did go when I was in Syracuse hospitals, you know, I was in one for two months and, uh, and I got connected to the people that were there that, that were also patients. And um, that was really incredible. I, I just never thought I did anything wrong. So I, I was out there talking. Sometimes I was alone. There was only two of us that were actually the first mental patient liberation project in Syracuse. And um, we would go to classrooms and do coursework and we would do television shows, local television shows and talk about our experiences. Um, and then eventually, you know, people would say, well, how many people are involved in this? And, you know, thousands, <laughs> you know, but I didn't know. But then I connected through the visit to New York City's Mental Patient Separation Project. I connected with um, California and all the fits that's news to print, you know, the um, incredible book that just the incredible magazine that came out every every month and so we had lots of ways the only ways we could connect were writing you know having people's addresses and in the books um so leonard roy frank is the one who wrote uh did the mandis network news and several other great books he did the quotationary for um random house <laughs> they didn't have one so of those so what makes the peer-to-peer -peer relationship different than like a clinician or a hospital? Like what, what has that done to impact your life? How has that impacted your life? This whole peer concept, being with I've others. Had, yep. I've had one really, really good counselor who we agreed when I started that, that I would be in charge of when I ended. And that that was a, a big change for me. And I also did that by talking with other people about what they, other peers who had been, you know, in difficult situations and how they handled it. But I just went through the system, went through all kinds of groups and all kinds of therapy and all kinds of medications and found none of that to be helpful. But the connection with other peers was helpful and helped me to keep a distance from becoming absorbed in the system. And that was what was happening. And in the beginning, the peers often talked about the system is no good for me, but you're good for me. So will you be my friend? You know, will you be my, and you know, it got intimate at, at different times for different people. There weren't the, the lines of, you know, what our boundaries are today. Um, but there was, you know, somebody was having difficulty, they'd come and stay with you. Someone wants to talk all night, they'd talk with you, you know, so we did all the things that they're doing now through services, but it was just a natural thing. So some people might be listening and saying, what's wrong with being absorbed in the system? Like you have a mental illness, so like, isn't that appropriate? Yeah, I, I never accepted that I had a mental illness. I, Right. I had a personal sadness and I had a challenge, but I never saw it as a brain thing. It was, it was an emotional thing. Yeah. And all they were doing was drugging it. And, you know, so it was a matter of keeping track of, you know, what, what's going on and what's working for me, what's not working for me. And I often could do that with other peers only. So now peers are getting paid 
through New York State to be peers, to be like to share. They're they're getting paid to share about themselves. Mm-hmm. Is that like what's up with that? Well, to share with another person that what you've been through, if they want to hear that, um, is just incredibly extraordinarily important. I've been in emergency room. And if there's a peer there with me, they can help me to figure out, you know, it's going to be six hours before you see a psychiatrist. It's going to, you know, kind of help you to talk about what you're really concerned about. Because when you get in to see the doctors, it's going to be, why did you do this? What medication did you take? You know, it was all very medical kind of model. And I never accepted the medical model as being a definition for myself. Part of that was by being enjoined into other other communities, the Grey Panthers, the women's movement, the peace movement, where I got arrested once, um, and all different kinds of, you know, movements for people who were not traditional white middle-class men, you know, and, uh, and so having connections to those gave me the understanding of how to approach you know, living with a history of a psychiatric diagnosis. Right. Okay. So I am a New York State certified peer specialist. And on my certification, Carol it's got your name. <laughs> it's got your name signed by you uh, as a secretary of the New York State Peer Services CB board or whatever. So how, how did you get your name on every certificate that every certified peer has in New York State? So, no one on the board wanted it besides, you know, I said, I'll do it. You yeah. Know, but it was basically, <laughs> people would go through the training in the Academy for Peer Services. And we developed the training along with um, New Jersey, um, black it on the name of the school. Yeah. And you know, with a peer certification board that you and I shared in that talking about what are the different things that we need to know historically as peers and what are the values that we put forth. So I think we put together a great package that was then people have to go through the coursework. And I think that's really valuable for people to understand the history and and where this came from and what is expected of people. And also, you know, how to create reasonable boundaries that you, you can have friendships, but if you're going to be involved with a person, someone else needs to serve that person. You know, it's like any other profession. Are peer supporters able to deal with people that have been identified as like seriously labeled as serious mentally ill, such as homeless people, people diagnosed with schizophrenia? This is like a community perspective question. Like, Mm-hmm. Do peers really help the really, really, you know, s- severely strange people in our community. You know, <laughs> so I think I, I think uh, listeners would be saying, "Oh, well, peers can't do that." So yeah, my husband um, was in um, Toastmasters, and they said, "Get up and give a speech less than one minute." And he got up and he said, "Active listening is an act of love." And active listening is really what it's about. It's not, you know, it's not gobbledygook that we're learning about. It's just a person's feeling. And I think we have to be braced to be able to absorb what the person is sharing 
and share back any kind of things that we may find to be helpful if the person wants it. You know, they, they know we've been through an experience and if, and if we, similar experience, and we can share that. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much how, how we can it contained and maintained, you know, a, a goodness of the peer role. Medicaid has been a big challenge. We knew it would be, you know, life as yeah. a box, drop down box, you know, that our lives just don't happen like that. But so we're losing a lot of the just gen, genuine outreach services, you know, that just mm-hmm. say, you know, there's no comp, competition and people have to sign up through the, all the Medicaid um, right. morass. So my final question would be, I, I talked to you maybe a month or so ago, mm-hmm. and it was so cool to hear what you're doing now and applying what you've learned and mastering what you're going through now. Can you share with that, like the, how the, you've extended this peer concept? Yep, I've been able to uh, maintain an involvement with Mind Freedom and Mental Health Empowerment Project to keep my balance because someone said to me, Oh, you serve people all your life. You can sit back and get the receive services now. And it's like, no, it has to be balanced. You know, I can't just be the receiver. That's just human nature. Right. So I did, um, I was diagnosed with myelodysplastic syndrome, MDS. I I kept on looking for peer support because here are all these cancer specialist. It's on the edge of cancer. It's not a cancer, but it's served by the cancer community. And the drug issues in, in um, cancer are just amazing. One 21-day supply costs $16,000. It's outrageous. But I kept on asking. You, know, you have good doctors. insurance, right? You have good insurance. Well, yeah. I, yeah. Now I yeah. got Medicare supplement because it's just so extensive. Yeah. And and they ended up saying, you know, I said, I, you know, everybody's great. I'm meeting everybody wearing masks too. I mean, it was just a year ago. And so I didn't meet anybody personally. And after they diagnosed me, they just started the, the course of treatment. And I said, I don't feel like I'm any part of my own life. And yet I studied health systems. I said, why can't I figure out is it possible to talk with someone else who's been through this experience, who's had this particular? And all the staff said, no, no. Then one nurse said, oh, yes, we have a peer support group. Yeah, there's two women in the peer support group right now who like to talk a lot. So I'm sure they'll be able to listen to you. And I said, God, they don't get peer support. So I finally got really, really depressed late in the spring. I just said, I can't do this. I have no idea what's coming next. I have no idea what this is about. I can read and read and read, but I don't know. So um, I, I went to the social worker at the, the hematology oncology place I go to. She had been around for quite a while. And she said, oh, you're looking for peer support? I said, yeah, they have a peer support. And in the end, they gave me three tickets for free massage you could have acupuncture massage or you know any alternative reiki and i am a reiki master so i didn't need to get that elsewhere but then they also gave me a person who had been through a blood cancer 
and she's had two stem cell transplants and lots of things happening to her. So they matched us up and she, we talk every week or two weeks and just kind of keep up with how I'm doing, how she's doing. You know, it's just a really fine connection. And then I joined the Lymphoma Leukemia Society. And just last week, it was just about my anniversary of being diagnosed. That means a big thing in their, their world, in cancer world. And Melba called me from Texas. And she's had MDS for 20 years. Now, she is the first person I ever met who had MDS. And she's doing fine. She's 77. She's out there driving, doing all kinds of things. And then she told me that it's also, it's a women's issue. And through all my time in the system, I didn't realize it primarily happens to women in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. You know, to get this is based on being anemic a lot. It seems to be the the step up for it. Okay, thank you so much, Carol. Is there any, if people had questions or wanted to talk to you or would you like them to email me and me send them to you or do you have uh, any way to contact you that? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm fine. I If I can't answer the phone, you know, if it, if it comes up as a scam, just leave a message on the phone. Yeah. So I'll give my phone number. Do you want me to give it now or? Sure. Sure. 315-450-6945. And that's your personal phone, phone, right? Yeah. The only phone now. I had all kinds of phones, but right. I, that's it. So and, that's. Uh, email's yeah. fine too. That's true peer sharing. It's like giving yeah. of yourself and, you know, giving your personal phone that, that's just great so yeah it, it, carol it's been an honor and a privilege thank you so much for sharing and it has experience. been to be with you more too i so much appreciate your your work thank you yeah so thanks well we're in it together yeah we are yeah so that's the deal yeah thank <laughs> you so much carol thank okay. you more bye bye-bye You've been listening to Peers Like Me, a podcast that explores issues related to behavioral health, sponsored by Western New York Independent Living, Inc., with the assistance of the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Today, our guest has been Carol Hayes Collier, advocate extraordinaire. Our host has been Maura Kelly. This program features the song Thanks for Morning" by Caliph Nasirs, available under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial license which can be viewed at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy dash nc slash 3.0 slash legal code